Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. On this episode, I'm just going to do a quick Freed Bites episode. So a pretty quick, uh, a short episode. And this is going to be in response to <clears throat> a comment or a series of comments, rather, uh, that my friend uh, John Cranman, and, and, and I do consider him a friend. John Cranman's a nice guy. I've debated him before. You know, he's a, he's a brother in Christ. I don't think, you know, he's, you know, crazy or anything like that. He's not some type of weird heretic. Not, nothing along those times, John. Uh, you know, if you're listening, Love you, brother. You're a good guy. I think that we have a strong disagreements, and I will argue why. Um, but I don't want anyone to take this as me thinking that John is being, uh, you know, a, a jerk or anything like that. Um, however, I, I do think that um, uh, he is wrong for many, many, many reasons. Now, I am going to post, I'm going to mention uh, several different uh, YouTube videos in here. I'm going to post all the links for these in the show notes. So as we go, uh, I'm going to mention an article by Paul Minata, by Steve Hayes, the debate that this is actually in the context of. All of those, uh, the links will be within the show notes. So yesterday... Uh, for those listening in the future, uh, March 7th, 2022, on Eli Ayala's show, Revealed Apologetics, uh, I had a discussion with Dan Chapa, uh, and it was part three of a debate that we were having on libertarian free will. Now, in the course of that episode, John Cranman popped up in the comments on the YouTube feed, in the live comments, and he asked me to provide a compatibilistic reading of 1 Corinthians 10 13. Now, I had already addressed that in the cross-examination uh, that, that Dan did of my opening statement, uh, or it could have been the cross-examination of his. I don't remember which cross-examination, but it came up and I already addressed it. Now, I can't blame uh, John because he may not have seen those videos prior to the discussion with Dan on Eli's show, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he hadn't seen those answers yet. Uh, but I wanted to answer um, here. So he asked me again to provide a compatibilistic reading of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, for those not familiar, familiar with with this verse this is the verse that says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it now let me give really fast what my answer was um in short i gave a little bit longer answer but i'm going to give in short what my answer was and i'm going to give some additional comments so first my main answer is, I don't think that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is even about freedom of the will or anything like that. It doesn't traffic in those categories. And so I think it's just as easily understood by really anyone from any any view on the will, because this is a pastoral ministerial uh, exhortation um, against idolatry. It's not actually trying to make any type of arguments or trafficking in the categories uh, of the will. It's just not what the verse is about. So demanding that I give a compatibilist reading of the verse when I don't think that there is one, um, it's somewhat disingenuous. It's like someone demanding that I give a material creation reading of Genesis 1, knowing that I don't think that that's what the passage is about, and then complaining that I'm not going to do that because I just don't think that that's what Genesis 1 is about in the first place. Second, I may not, it may just be because John and others like him 
think that the verse is kind of a slam dunk verse for their view, that they cannot really fathom that other people just don't think that they're even handling the verse in the right categories. And that's fine. But then he should try to understand other people's views on their own terms. Remember, it's it think back to Genesis 1. It's like someone saying, okay, but but your your you know your non-material creation view has X, Y, and Z problems, but those problems just assume that the passage is about material creation. And we're just going to keep coming back and saying, yeah, but we don't, we're not even talking in those categories. You need to understand our position within our own concepts and categories. So he needs to do a better job at trying to understand other people's views on their own terms by their own categories and concepts. <clears throat> now, beyond that, I gave reasons why, in addition, that I think 1 Corinthians 10.13 isn't really a support for libertarian freedom. And I gave a few of them. So let me let me give some of those here and I'm going to I'm going to connect some more of the dots. <clears throat> Remember it's just it was an open Q&A and I was just trying to off the cuff get some things through. So I'm going to connect the dots a little bit more strongly here than I did in that video. So first, it seems strange that that if libertarian incompatibilism is true, that God would need to quote provide a way of escape if we already have libertarian freedom. Because given that libertarian freedom generally holds that one must be able to do otherwise in a kind of strong uh, categorical sense, and that if one does not have that, then they're not subject to more responsibility. That is, they don't have the ability to do otherwise in a strong categorical sense, then, they're, then, then somehow they're not responsible. Then it just seems that for any temptation X, that not X would have to already be possible for the person or else they couldn't be blameworthy if they gave in to X, right? Because because if, if, if not X already wasn't possible, then if they did X and it was the only thing they could do, then given libertarian incompatibilism, they wouldn't be blameworthy in the first place, which would make Paul's talking about it and encouraging you to not to not be do something blameworthy to be weird. So the the way of escape already seems baked into the culpability of the agent if libertarian freedom is true in these temptations. So why, the question just is why would God need to create this other unmentioned way of escape if they already have the way of escape? Right? It just it just becomes kind of incoherent at that point. Second. It says that God, quote, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, end quote. Well, if that's read as libertarian freedom and the ability just is a strong categorical ability to do otherwise, then it seems that this means God will never let you be tempted to sin, right? Because, because if you have the categorical ability to do X and not X, but he's never going to, uh, to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand— then that just seems to entail that God will never let you be tempted all the way to sin. If libertarian freedom just is the ability to do otherwise in that strong categorical sense, and God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to maintain, then how is this just not a guarantee that God will let you not let you be tempted to sin? How, like, like if we hold the principles of libertarian freedom and read these into these verses, it just seems that sinless perfectionism falls out. Now, I know Cranman and others would deny that, but that's the point, is that if if you want to read libertarian freedom into this, there seems to be a high price tag that even they don't want to accept and wouldn't want to accept. Now, <clears throat> finally, if this is about every temptation that every person ever experiences, every Christian ever experiences of any kind, any place, anywhere, any time, 
Then, as people like Paul Manata and Steve Hayes have shown, again, I'll put the links in the show notes, then if we assume libertarian freedom, it actually contradicts some of the really important maneuvers that libertarian free, free will philosophers have had to make to salvage the theory from some major criticisms. Now, libertarian freedom will advocates like Kane and others have affirmed what's called will setting. That is, if one chooses some action X and they choose that freely, then that may actually what's called set their will in a certain direction that down the road they cannot choose P or not P. They can only do P. Right? So, so they've freely chosen to do X, but in doing so, it has set their will such that some future choice they can't do otherwise. But Cain and others say that they, and they argue, I think rightly, because that, that, that because you were in control over your choice of the initial choice of X, then you may still be responsible for your choice of P, even if you couldn't choose otherwise. This is why, you know, the drunk driver examples come up. You, you freely chose to drink that much and to drive your car. And so therefore you're responsible, even if you couldn't make the choice to swerve uh, and miss, you know, the school bus or something along those lines. You may still be responsible, but your prior actions set your will so you couldn't freely choose otherwise in a later case. Now, this is just trivially easy to prove. We can give lots of thought experiments uh, uh, for it. Uh, and and it's just replete in the literature and libertarian free will scholars don't even really dispute it anymore. Uh, there, are some, there are a couple that do, but really by and large, I mean, this is just almost univocal across libertarian free will scholars. And they actually need will setting to be true in order to avoid some very serious criticisms of libertarian free will uh, in the first place. However, if we read 1 Corinthians 10.13 to mean that for every single temptation, there must be this God-given way of escape, then this would actually invalidate the will setting position which would then leave libertarian free will exposed to the prior criticisms that will setting was ostensibly meant to create or to escape. So if we read 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a verse that proves libertarian free will in one sense, then it actually undermines libertarian free will in one of its most robust forms down the road. That, but you need that robust form to overcome these other very critical objections to it. Talk about cutting off the nose to spite the face. So, so if they want to push 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to prove libertarian freedom, then there's this really high price to pay that it, that it either can't overcome these other objections or they need to find some new and novel way to overcome these objections um, that no one has thought of before. <clears throat> Next, um, and, it is, and this is where, I, you know, I... I I'm just going to say that the, the point of the passage is, is this pastoral point. It, it's noteworthy that zero, literally zero academic exegetical commentaries on 1 Corinthians treat this verse as if it's defending some view uh, of, of uh, the nature of the will. No, no commentary does that. No one does that. Why? Well, back to my first point, because that just isn't what the verse is about in the first place. This is a pastoral passage that's encouraging the Christians to avoid idolatry and thus apostasy and showing that even when they stand firm in the face of temptation, 
which they will do. I, I take this as a guarantee that you can, that the true believer cannot apostatize, that God will not allow them uh, to, to uh, be tempted beyond what they're capable of in the sense of beyond um, what, what will cause them to, to lose their salvation. And I'll give a reason for that here in a moment. Um, that, that, uh, that, that, that it's showing that even when they stand firm in the face of temptation, that it's God who is the one that's at work protecting them. Therefore, they should flee idolatry and idols in verse 14, and that's coming out of uh, fleeing the rebellion of their predecessors in verse 6 through 11. Now, sorry, there's the lawnmower going in the background, but this verse is not necessarily about every single temptation of every kind at any point ever in any life of any believer. Now, I know that this is a all doesn't mean all type of objection, but this is just common in the literature. Arminians, non-Arminians, again, most exegetes know that, that that all doesn't mean all without exception. It actually very rarely means that. It usually means all uh, without uh, distinction. So within the context, we see that coming in here, that this is within the context of idolatry and abandoning Christ. So this is an exhortation for them to stand firm in the faith and to recognize that when they do, it's because God is protecting them and they should not look to other gods or idols. That's all. That's it. Right? It, it, it's, it's, it's an encouragement that when they stand firm in the face of, 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 of idols and apostasy and they, and they worship God and they don't go to idols, God is the one that's upholding them in their faith. That's the promise of it. Now, Cranmer and others will say, ah, but look, they're exhorted to make a choice. Therefore, it must be libertarian freedom. Well, at that point, then we're just back to the main problem that we always run into in these debates. They're just begging the question. Compatibilists, again, don't deny that we make free choices and reasonable choices and can be encouraged and exhorted to make the right choice and don't make the wrong choice. That's not outside of compatibilism. So Cranman and company would then need to give some independent reason for why choices necessitate libertarian freedom, and they have to do it without begging the question that the only free choices are undetermined ones, since that just is the incompatibilist position that they're seeking to defend as their conclusion. And, and they would seemingly need to do so uh, now from something outside of 1 Corinthians 10.13, since now they need some argument to show why the mere existence of choice between options is specifically libertarian freedom and not compatible with a compatibilistic view of freedom or conditional ability, right? Because the compatibilist is going to look at that and say, well, we don't have a problem with people making choices. That's between... that. That's just, that's just perfectly fine with incompatibilism. That, that's not an issue. The incompatibilist is going to say, yeah, but you know, those, aren't, those aren't real choices or they won't, aren't whatever. But in order to do that, they, they have to do it without begging the question. And now they need to give some philosophical argument for why that's the case. But now they're having to do that from outside of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But then by doing that, they just implicitly admitted that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 doesn't de demonstrate libertarian freedom, but rather something outside, some, some other exterior argument or assumption has to be made, and then that has to be true, and then it brought into the text to arrive at such a libertarian reading. However, again, once they've done that, then they just can't claim any longer that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 itself demonstrates libertarian freedom. 
So uh, I hope that was helpful to, to help you walk through how uh, how we can look and understand 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now he might still you know jump and yell and say, you haven't given a compatibilist reading and all that kind of things. But again, I, I'm not trying to because I don't, I don't think that's what the, the passage is about. Um, but I think that it's very, very clearly not uh, a verse that really is in favor of libertarian freedom. And, I, and I, there are actually many libertarians who have said, yeah, we should really stop using, uh, use, using this type of verse or using this verse to try to demonstrate our view. It just doesn't work. So hope that was helpful. Thank you as always. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations or condemnations, please feel free to reach out to me at freethinkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit the blog at freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Head on over to the YouTube channel if you want to see some of the videos there or join in the discussion at the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook. Thank you again. Good night and God bless.